Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in-house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with 19 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance. I'm also a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider and have been helping corporations and individuals for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. You can also go to our website, moneymd.net. In the top right-hand corner, Steve, we have that link. People can listen to us. They can stream us kind of wherever right. you're hanging out this Saturday morning. Um, obviously, 1230 a.m. is where you find us on the dial if you're driving around. So a couple different ways to, to access us. A bunch of ways, you know, and I think the new wave of the future is listening to just about everything on your smartphone, mm-hmm. even your cars. You know, my wife has a car that has like the Bluetooth thing. She gets in the car, it picks up her smartphone and starts playing whatever's on her on her smartphone, and uh, I think that's going to be the new yeah. wave of the future. And a way to get this through your smartphone is to download the TuneIn Radio app, um, which is my favorite way of listening. You can, you know, be working out in the yard and have your phone in your pocket and your earbuds in or whatever you use and be jogging and uh, still listening to our show. So download the TuneIn Radio app and also check us out on our, on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. Send us your questions. We'd love to get your emails and uh, your questions. You can reach us directly by email at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lineup for the day. Very interesting and timely stuff, as usual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Always. <laughs> what we bring. We're gonna, that's right. We're going to start off here with uh, one of the things is the five most common estate planning mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, we see these all the time, John. I mean, estate planning... It sounds like a real complicated thing, and people overlook things, but it's really not that that complicated. There are five mistakes here that you'll want to listen to because we see these all the time. These are very, very common mistakes. And I bet you most people don't have these in place. No, that's you right. Know. That's right. And these are just simple things you can do to to just kind of estate planning in a nutshell mm-hmm. here. We're going to cover it today. Yeah. And then, um, St- Steve, there's um, whenever you invest in the market, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's risk sometimes. Yeah. Markets yeah. go up, markets go it down. It can be risk, you know. I um, mean, it's funny because after you have a few good years, people forget about risk. Yeah, and they're starting to want to increase the uh, allocation to equities. Oh, and, they'll start yeah. picking stocks, and yeah. they'll just start throwing anybody stuff. Can do it, you know, right. anybody can do it, right? It's so easy. Yeah, so we're going to dive into um, the uh, – the risk topic, and uh, it's not just market risk. It's not just the volatility. There's also a lot of other hidden risk out there. Inflation risk we talk about, that is a killer over time. Um, and that may be the next big one. That I uh, know. It's going to – we'll see. We'll see how that, that ends up. But we're going to dive into the topic of risk, and can you avoid risk when you invest? 
And that's kind of going to be uh, something we're going to look at. And then we're going to uh, end up with, um, guess what's become the latest piggy bank for Americans? It used to be the home. Yeah. Now it's, I'm not going to tell you, you have to stick around uh, and listen to it. But yeah, there's another asset that people are starting to tap because, you know, quite frankly, the home values, many people are underwater, so you can't get the equity out. And it's a huge mistake. It is a it's huge It's a huge one. mistake. So if you're doing this... You need to stop, That's and we're right. going to tell you why. Yep. Yeah, yep. coming right up. That's going to be the last segment, or, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, last, last segment. Yep. That's a good one. All right, but we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is kind of uh, another downer. Yeah, a little, little depressing. Uh, the GAO, also known as the Government Accountability Office, said that in the year 2028, it's only – you know, Steve, that's a little bit more than a decade out. Government expenditures, years. yeah, um, for Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and the net interest expense would consume all projected federal tax receipts. That's, that's the funds needed for all other federal expenditures, um, you know, are going to have to be borrowed. You know, think about defense spending. Right. That's going to have to be borrowed. So so entitlement programs. Entitlement programs will and the interest expense will consume all of the revenues. All the revenues. So it will basically be yeah and I've looked at the CBO's projections before the Congressional Budget Office and what they're saying basically is we'd be running over $1 trillion. After about 10 years out, we'll be running trillion-dollar deficits every single year, mm-hmm. and it'll be unavoidable for the what you just mentioned because the, the entitlement programs will eat up everything but yeah. discretionary. So we have a 14-year planning horizon. So what, what should someone do based on that? Start saving today. You know, don't count on the government to provide you all these benefits. Right. They're going to cut these things. It's recognized, yeah. Particularly if you're a saver, if you're in decent shape, you got to start thinking everything's going to be means tested, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because they're going to be in a world of hurt. Because if you look at the CBO estimates going out, we're going to have over twenty-five trillion dollars in debt mm-hmm. by that time in about fourteen years, um, and that's going to be a point to where they're going to have to either find new sources of revenue. Mm-hmm. There's just going to be no way around it, right? And or, or cut entitlements, you know, to the bones, which that's not going to happen. So, the new sources of revenue are going to come from means testing, taxes, taxes, yeah. and means testing, Social Security means testing, I, any type of government program. I think the after-tax account that we talk about, brokerage accounts, is going to become that much more valuable. It's just a different yeah. way to save. A lot of people don't really understand that. Most people don't understand 401ks and so forth, but. Yeah, um, tax managed account. Yeah, you got to start looking at different it options. It's gonna gonna be, I think, the new way to invest because they're gonna start means testing these four hundred one ks and IRAs. I think down yeah, the, down the road when they get in that kind of shape. But yeah, that's an interesting fact of the week and, and a painful one. But it's the reality, and you got to plan for the future, and you got to start thinking long term like this, mm-hmm. um, and prepare for those things, and set yourself up so that you're not in the crosshairs. When the IRS comes looking for more revenue. Yeah, that's right. So Coming to a, get you. That's a good one. All right, that leads up to our first topic here, and that is um, the five most common estate planning mistakes. And, you know, John, most people, when they start thinking about estate planning, they think that only means the wealthy, right? Mm-hmm. It's not something they have to worry about, right? And, and if estate taxes were the only issue, that might be true because the exemption now is more than $5 million per yeah, person. it's huge. So it's huge. So that, that eliminates, you most know, people. 99% of the people out there, you know, and more. 
Um, but there are many other considerations in making sure your assets go where you want. And that's a big part of estate planning is making sure your 401k and your IRAs and mm-hmm. your house and all your money and all your wealth goes to the people you want and goes in the right form, you know, in the right right way. Um, so a little bit of planning can save your survivors dozens of hours in grief and expense. Um, so we're going to talk about how to do that. And unfortunately, it's easy to procrastinate these issues because, you know, you, you may you kind of feel like it may never be needed or it's a long ways off. But fact is, it can be, you know, it's very, very important. Yeah, I, think the, stats, sure. I think the stats bear out that like 60 or 70 pe- percent of people don't even have a will. I mean, that's kind of a basic that's right. you know, piece of it. So it's um, crazy. And this, uh, th- what we're talking about here is beyond even, even that. So Yeah, we're not even talking about the will. I yeah. mean, that's, that's an obvious estate planning right. thing that a lot of people forego. But, uh, yeah, so just a quick story. You know, when I first got into the financial planning business, I unfortunately quickly saw how important this was. Um, I had a client whose husband suffered a stroke, and he went into a coma. And, you know, for a while, it wasn't really an issue. But, you know, after about a month, the medical bills started piling up. And, unfortunately, their major asset was his IRA. And when they started needing money, he was the only one that could sign for it. Mm-hmm. And he was he was in a coma. He was incompetent, you know, could, couldn't sign. Um, and since there was no power of attorney, um, his wife couldn't get access to their only large source of money. So in the midst of all that trauma and grief, she had to spend countless hours filling out forms, appearing before a, a, a judge and trying to get guardianship over his funds, mm-hmm. which eventually she did. But it was after several months and, you know, that could have all been avoided with a simple little bit of planning. To get a power of attorney, you know, that process added a lot of stress no, and no grief doubt. to her Yeah, at a time when she was just trying to, you know, cope with things. Um, so it's a very difficult time. You don't want to be trying to cope with, with uh, you know, trying to get access to, yeah, to your assets. That's right. That's unfortunate. And so that leads us right into mistake number one is not ha- having a power of attorney for your spouse. I mean, that's this it. can easily um, be accomplished through an attorney. Uh, by providing sign-in authority over the other spouse in certain circumstances. And, you know, there are also many simple forms on the Internet that you can get this that, that cost nothing. Obviously, we have a lot of relationships with lawyers in the area and uh, recommend that you sit down with someone, but that's not for everybody. But, um, you know, it's a pretty easy step to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to admit, Kathy and I, we just took care of this recently ourselves, so we didn't have this for year, many, many years. Um, but, you know, you, you have to know how important this is. I, I knew it for years, but it's easy to put it off. You know, it's very easy not to do this. But there are two different types of powers of attorneys, power of attorney that you can get. One of them is called a durable power of attorney. The other is a springing power of attorney. Now, a durable power of attorney, that's always in place. Um, so your spouse can sign for the other spouse uh, or one spouse can sign for the other if they're incompetent or even if they're away mm-hmm. or just unavailable. Um, so that one's always in place. Now, the springing power of attorney, that gets put in place once a doctor signs off that the other spouse is incompetent. Mm-hmm. Um, so that adds kind of a kind of an added hurdle to the process. 
So, um, you know, so we would only suggest you use a springing power of attorney if there's a trust issue, since that step adds some grief, you know, adds, it just adds grief to the process and it opens up, you know, the door for complications. Um, plus if you were in a foreign country or, you know, just unavailable for a long period of time, that would not be available to you. So. Like on the golf course for yeah. 14 hours. Exactly. Get lost. Yeah. Like our <laughs> golf marathon we played in. The yeah. It was young life. That was, that was exciting. crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, so, I mean, we think it's better to always have a power attorney in place um, unless trust is really an issue. So we'll continue with these when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back at these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the five most common estate planning mistakes. Um, you know, John, as we were mentioning, I mean, these are ones that, that we see all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, just very common things. Doesn't have anything to do with taxes. It really has to do with how your assets are structured and are they going to go to the people that you that you love and that you want to support, you know, after you're gone. But also, you know, are are things structured to make life easy mm-hmm. for your spouse? Yeah, like the first one was the power of attorney. Exactly. I mean, a power of attorney is just a simple tool. If you have it in place, then you know if something happens, your spouse can go sign for you, and and there's no problem getting it. You know, taking care of business. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't have that in place, you're vulnerable because you know everything that's in your name is is going to be very very difficult to take care yeah, of. It's hard to access it without your signature. Exactly. You know, or it may you know if something happens to you, it. it I mean, you have to go to a judge, mm-hmm. and so we talked about that. So that was number one on the list. Number two here on the list is simply not listing your kids as contingent beneficiaries on IRAs or retirement plans. That's called a stretch IRA, yeah, right? That's right. You know, Steve, most people do list their spouse as the beneficiary, uh, but, you know, if they predecease you and, you know, it then defaults to your estate. So, and if both of you die together, um, it goes to your state where your kids are required to take the distribution over five years. So, you know, if you have a $200,000 IRA, you're going to be taking roughly $40,000 a year. It's going to be taxed at whatever rate your kids are in. And um, it could be a big tax penalty. So, yeah, it really can. Different way to do this. Yeah, I mean, so it may be taxed at a higher rate because it has to come out over five years, like you said. Also, I mean, if the kids are listed as contingent beneficiaries, then it can be taken out over their life expectancy. Mm-hmm. It may be 40 years. They get to defer those taxes on a lot of that money. So, if also, if your children. Um, are listed, then it avoids probate, and it's very quickly available to your kids. Right. So it just makes all the sense in the world. Take the time to make sure your kids are listed as contingent beneficiaries on your IRAs or retirement plans. Um, Okay, so that was number two. Number three on the list is listing accounts as joint with an elderly parent, you know, joint with right of survivorship. This is a huge mistake, and, and this is very common. We see it all the time. Yet it makes a mess of their estate because um, it, here's kind of what can happen. I mean, it's it's very touchy to correct, even if you catch it early. I just went through this recently with a client. 
Um, this typically done. What happens is a, a spouse, a, a, a child will list their parent. Um, they'll get listed as the, the joint mm-hmm. on their parent's account. They're doing it to take care of their parent. Um, the other siblings, you know, agree to that, of course, because they want to take care of their parents. And it's there to manage the affairs of the parent. But then once the parent dies, the account immediately becomes that child's without regard to the other siblings. And then that child has to gift their assets to the other siblings to equal the share out. And then they have to file a gift tax return. So it's a huge mess. Well, they may not have to gift it. They just want to keep it. Well, and that's the other problem. Sometimes the child resists, you know, I mean, thinking, well, I deserve a bigger share. I was taking care of, you know, mom all these years. I was the one nearby, right? Um, Temptation can be great to help themselves with an extra portion of that. Um, So, I mean, this is a mess that's easy to avoid. Bottom line is just don't do it, except for maybe a small checking account. Instead... Make your child, make one child have a power of attorney mm-hmm. over your 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 uh, parent, and then that way it doesn't mess up the estate. Yeah, they still have access to it. Can right. you know operate Sign it and help them. them. Yep, exactly. That's the way to do it. So number four here on the list um, is owning stocks in in what we call a, a drip account. It's a dividend reinvestment plan, uh, or in certificates or direct registration. Um, you know, this is another big mistake and a royal mess if a bunch of stocks are owned like this after death. I mean, you'll have to, to deal with a lot, lot of different transfer companies, and uh, each will want the original death certificate and signature guarantees to re-register the shares. And, Steve, I've had to deal with that on a number of clients, and it is, it is a nightmare. It, it just takes up so much time. It's and there's huge. a different way to do this. There is. I mean, it's just, yeah, I had to help a widow with this recently, and it took years, John, not not months, but oh, years goodness. to get it straightened out. It did. I mean, she had probably 20 different stocks and 20 different, you know, companies, transfer companies, and and then she lost some certificates. And if you lose a certificate, try to replace it later. It can cost up to $800 if you're required to, to, to have a security bond, mm-hmm. which she did. Um, so you need paperwork for every single stock if you have it listed that way directly with the companies. Um, it creates a huge hassle on top of dealing with the loss of a loved one. You know, and then there's the problem of tracking the cost basis on the dividend, you know, reinvested dividends, uh, which becomes a big problem. So you can avoid almost all of this by simply owning the stocks or mutual funds in a brokerage account. You want all of your stocks and bonds and mutual funds in a brokerage account, one brokerage account. Then you only have one company to deal with, and they're usually much easier to deal with than these transfer companies. Yeah, so, particularly the the cost basis is, uh, is tracked, track. right? So that helps exactly. out tax time. Um, you only have to have, have one death certificate, mm-hmm. usually no signature guarantees required. It makes it a ton easier. Yep. So trust me, you want to put any kind of stocks, bonds, mutual funds in a brokerage account. You don't want to have them individually held. Okay, so that was number four on the list. Number five here on the list is not updating beneficiaries after a divorce or having other kids. Um, we see this often. I mean, ex, you leave your ex-spouse on documents after divorce um, or not adding your, your new kids to your, your documents as beneficiaries. Um, you know, your ex may get remarried and have other kids. Mm-hmm. It gets complicated. It gets a mess. Yeah, you know, it's easy to forget an old life insurance policy, maybe an old IRA or retirement plan. 
And, you know, there's no way to fix it after death. I mean, your ex-spouse will get it if their name is left on on the account. And that usually creates hard feelings by your heirs if it's not distributed um, to the current family. So this is a this is a big one that we see, unfortunately, it happens. It is, and it's, it's so simple. I mean, just update everything at once when the situation changes. It's fresh on your mind. You just got to make yourself do it, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the bottom line there. Okay, so takeaways here are, you know, a little planning can avoid huge problems for your loved ones. Probate can be a time-consuming process, but it's easy to avoid simply by listing your spouse and your children as beneficiaries on all of your IRAs and retirement plans. You know, review and update your wills and beneficiaries every few years. Get a power of attorney for each other if you don't have one to avoid the grief and the hardship that that can cause. So just make sure you get things kind of cleaned up, right? Email us if you have questions at info at moneymd.net. Okay, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, Steve, you know, we, we have folks come in our office weekly, and they, they you know, many of them are in their 50s, um, and their question is, um, are we on track? That's, yep. that's, that's typically what they you're, say, you're are we on track? all the time, yep. And so this question has to do with, with the are we on track um, theme here. And um, so the question is, is we have $250,000 saved for retirement, and we're 55 years old, and we want to retire in five years. Hmm. Um, they make about $150,000 per year now, and they have no pensions. And, you know, are we on track? And I had that recently. This is a, a very for, s- similar scenario. and For five years. Yeah, five years. 250 is that, is a sizable amount of money. But to generate the kind of income that they're probably going to need, you know, the answer is probably no. Um, yeah, if they had some I'd, pensions. I'd, I'd say they're on track for about 70. Yeah, and so that's the question is, is on track for what? I mean, we've got to figure out how much income they need. If they want to, you know, get 70% or 80% of the 150000 it's going to be $120,000 a year. They're probably not on track for hitting that kind of income. Well, even if you only needed 80000 income, which is more typical, right, for a retiree, you know, maybe you need 70000 80000 But think about that, $80,000, it takes... What, to, you know, a million and a half to generate at 5% rate of withdrawal, it takes a million and a half to generate $80,000 of income. Yeah, I mean, if you if you have, let's say in their case, they had 40000 of Social Security, that's another 40000 right. that they're going to need, um, you know, from investments, forty to 50000 they right. probably need a million dollars. Probably, yeah, you know, and yeah, going yeah. from two hundred fifty thousand up to a million dollars in five years, nah, you got to be not, saving a lot of jack. Probably not going to happen, right? It's going to exactly. be tough. So, you know, but these are the kind of things that that we do that we work on. That, you know, quite frankly, I would say ninety five percent of the people need help on. You know, are we on track, and what can I do in order to get to that that goal, that income goal? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, if you don't have a pension, it takes a lot more than you think. Mm-hmm. So you need to do some planning. You need to start early. Don't wait till age fifty five. You know, know your numbers, yeah. right? I mean, know how much it's going to take to get you there. So that's a good, great, great question of the week. All right, that leads up to our break. Um, but if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages and Gina News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. 
And we are going to um, continue our discussion here with a new topic, and that is an article called The Inevitability of Risk. John, you know, I mean, people, I think, underestimate the different types of risk. Mm-hmm. You know, they they understand market risk, right? Everybody knows the market can drop like it did in 2008, but they don't think about all the other types of risk, you know, inflation and uh, you know, interest rates and just all the different right. things you really need to think about with your investments. So and, this and is it, a good article. And it doesn't matter what security you're investing in. There is a risk associated with it. Yes. A lot of people would say, well, there's no risk in cash. Well, that's not true. There's inflation it, risk. And it's a big risk. It is a big risk. If you keep, you know, and, and cash typically has not outpaced inflation, um, and it's not right now. So you're guaranteed to lose money right now. Exactly. If you're in cash. Exactly so, right. So there, yeah. there are different types of risk. And, you know, Steve, when we talk about the stock market, this comes. This article is from uh, um, uh, an online uh, service called Marketing Pro, and they do a good job of kind of outlining these. And, you know, but if you want significant a significant reward, you have to assume some risk. And, um, you know, anyone investing in securities, particularly stocks and mutual funds, uh, must accept that reality in order to get you know, the higher rates of return. And, you know, investing in the markets gives you an opportunity to accelerate the growth of your savings and outpace inflation, and you definitely want that chance. But, you know, how you cope with the risk uh, linked to it. So can you avoid risk in stocks? And really the answer is is probably no. Um, there's always going to be some type of risk. And, and so we're going to go through a couple different ones, four different varieties of investing risk. And, and there are ways that you can help to manage or counteract them. So that's the key here that we're going to kind of talk about. Right. And this first one is really kind of the most obvious, right? It's diversification and concentration risk is what they call it. Um, but, I mean, yeah, this occurs when a portfolio isn't spread out enough, right? You're not you're not diversified enough. I mean, so everybody's familiar with that term and, and kind of in general what that means. But some investors, they'll have everything in a handful of stocks or a couple of mutual funds, which – represent just one or two hot market sectors, if you will, or asset classes. And then, you know, if if something um, hurts these companies or these industries, that undiversified portfolio will suffer a major setback. You know, even a a bad earnings season can do significant damage Mm -hmm. or even cause a disaster. I mean, there's lots of things that can cause a disaster. And if you you know, if you if you don't remember just five or six years ago, 2008, how many great companies did we know oh. went to zero? Yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. And some great companies were down 60, 70, 80 percent. So That's right. I don't care how good the company is. And there's some great – we have great companies. You know, if you and, don't diversify outside of one stock, and, you're – And you don't, you don't need to take that kind of risk. That's, That's right. the whole point. Yep. It's it's useless. You're not gaining anything. You can diversify it away. You can. Yeah, and so the, the, the tactic or the way to um, manage this type of risk is – Diversify across different asset classes, uh, you know, moving money into funds that provide broad market exposure, you know, trying to avoid a glut of holdings in a given sector, um, even when the sector is hot. And go back to the technology back in uh, the early 2000s. I mean, I mean, so many people had all of their money in technology because it was doing phenomenal and people didn't see the end in sight. Well, you know, the NASDAQ That's still right. hasn't recovered. No, it's amazing. From isn't that it? point. I mean, yeah. it's been... Yeah, it's been 14 years. Yeah, that's amazing. So the flavor of the month or the year can sour next month. And, you know, so, Steve, broad diversification gives investors a chance to capture gains in different market climates and sets them up for less pain in a particular sector or asset class. So um, just make sure you have different 
types of assets. You know, we recommend U.S. and international, large, small. Um, I, I've talked to people in the past, and I know you've probably run across this as well, that work for a company, been there for 20, 30 years, yep. know it very well, and they're they're like, well, I'm diversified because this company has five different divisions, you know. Yeah, they got so their, like, yeah, they, they have all, like all their employer yeah. match will be in the company Everything. stock. Everything, and that is the riskiest setup you can have. Yeah, because the same thing that may jeopardize your job would also jeopardize your retirement plan. Yeah. Because it's the same company, right? Double I mean, whammy. If you got laid off, chances are the company's in the tank, mm-hmm. and your your retirement plan's also in the tank. tank yep. So, so make sure you diversify outside of just one sector. Um, second one here on the list, Steve, is reinvestment and timing risk. And, you know, all investors would like to buy low and, and sell high, but some and many folks succumb to the impatience and they leap in and out of the market. They try to time it and they really end up hurting the long range performance of their portfolios. And, you know, the weakness of buying high and selling low has caused too many investors to miss the best market days. And besides that, you know, you know, bond investors also face something called reinvestment risk where you know, the bonds coupon will be in, uh, end up being reinvested in something that's lower yielding. But um, this timing risk is a big deal. And you're going to cover some of the stats associated with this through a study that we're very familiar with called Dalbar. Yeah, that's um, exactly right. Yeah, with regard to stocks, I mean, here are some of the long-term statistics worth noting. First of all, the S&P 500, the Standard & Poor's um, research, shows that if a typical investor had simply put $10,000 in an index fund like the S&P 500, on January 1st, 1994, and just washed it for 20 years, never bought or sold, just let it go, he or she would have wound up with about $58,000 at the end of 2013. So a 20-year period. 20-year period, 10000 grows to 58000 right? So, I mean, it's, that's pretty... That's pretty spiffy. Mm-hmm. Pretty good return, right? So if the same investor was out of the market, though, for just the top five performing days for that 20-year period, we're talking just five days here, John. Um, he or she would have made only 38, would have accumulated only about $39,000. Mm-hmm. So you drop from 58000 to $39,000, $19,000 lost because you missed five days. Yeah. I mean, how perilous is that? Um, the, the the investment research firm Dalbar estimates that from, I mean, they're a company that does investor research mm-hmm. on investor, investor behavior. behavior, and they do this study, and they updated it from 91 through 2010 is the one referenced in the article here. The average mutual fund investor made 3.8% a year compared to an average of 9.1% per year for the S&P 500. Mm. That's a 5.3% difference that relates to simply buying high, selling low, cost, you know. It's I mean, staggering. It is staggering. They lost, you know, uh, more than half the return. Um, and that's a disaster because that's, if the average investor, that means that's the difference between you struggling in retirement and you retiring wealthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 20 years of an extra 5%. And I don't know about you, but I can see when people come in and they show me their 401k balances and they've been invested. And they basically said, yeah, in 2008, I stayed invested and I yeah. continue to put money in. Their balances are much larger than those people that, that have you can tell they've timed. They they tell you they're scared and so forth. Exactly. You can see it in the balances. That's exactly right. I can right. tell when someone has timed it versus not. Oh, yeah. I you sat know? down with a woman just just last week. She had over a million dollars in her retirement plan, her 401k plan. Yeah. 
She stayed out the, invested out of the site, and that was the key. She didn't. She didn't know. She admitted that she didn't know how to pick stocks. She knew nothing about it. All she did was just threw the money in there, threw it around, but kept it in stocks. She kept it in equities, invested, never took it out, never went to cash, just left it alone, just kind of dumb and happy, just kept putting money in there, a million bucks. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, past performance doesn't guarantee future results, so we're talking about past stuff here, but those are just the stats. And and so the tactic to to, uh, alleviate that is instead of jockeying in and out of stocks and funds, um, buy and hold, um, you know, and do some some dollar cost averaging. Do some rebalancing in that. Um, harvest some tax losses. I mean, there's some things that you can do when the markets are down that you know to prepare you from when the times are better. So don't try to time the market. It just doesn't work. So that's a big one there. Number three here on the list is um, credit quality, interest rate risk, and inflation risk. And Steve, this is talking about bonds. Um, you know, you can have a uh, a corporate bond rating um, get downgraded. Um, there there's default risk associated with that. Um, you've got interest rate risk, which, you know, interest rates are low now. A lot of things that you got to look at when you're investing in bonds. We, we, we look at um, short-term and high-quality as a great place to be, but you got to be careful in bonds. Yeah, and I would just summarize. I mean, they, they list some different strategies here, you know, like using laddered strategies. But you just want to keep it simple. The bottom line is just diversify in bonds by low-quality. Short-term, yeah. high-quality bonds that are diversified for your fixed income. That's really the answer, I think, to that. Just keep it simple. And then the last one here is general market risk. You know, anyone with a foot in the markets guy has to recognize there is market risk, right? And that's the potential that many or all of the market sectors out there, asset classes, may be really riled by shocks such as the Ukraine thing mm-hmm. that's going on, geopolitical things like terrorism that, you and know, terrorism, recession, natural disasters. So you have to have a strategy for coping with the general market risk. Yeah, and I think that that strategy is do some rebalancing like we talked about. Make sure you have a good mix of, of stocks and bonds going into that. You should have a good understanding of, of what portfolio you're in and, and what's the worst one year that, that's happened so you can kind of understand. So when these things do happen, you don't freak out and you, you know, again, sell low and buy high. Yeah, um, so have a disciplined a, strategy. But in order to, to, to make the higher returns in the market, there has to be some risk that you take associated with it. Absolutely. Okay. That leads us to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are um, going to start off our last segment here with the prescription of the week. Yeah, Steve, this prescription is pretty straightforward. Time in the market is key, not time in the market. Yeah, that, I love that old saying. It is. It's it, it just very simple. But very powerful. Yeah. You you just don't worry about when you get in or when you just don't just get in there, invest for the long haul and forget about any kind of timing. Yeah. I mean, we just looked at the Dalbar study from 1991 to 2010 and the average investor made 3.8 percent where the S&P 500 made 9.1. Yeah. You and can't that, time it. You just can't. So um, better strategy, get a good risk profile up front. 
um, you know, and, and understand that markets um, do have some risk. Uh, historically, they've gone up. We think they will in the future, but uh, no one can, can tell you for certain. That's right? exactly right. So, time in the market That's is a good key. One. Time in the market. Okay, that leads up to our last topic here, and that is um, an article uh, out of Bloomberg, and it's called Early Tap of 401k Replaces Homes as the Next American, as the New American Piggy Bank. Yeah, so instead of people pulling money out of homes, they're doing 401ks now. 401ks, uh. just, just whipping it right out of there, no yeah. problem. You can just put it back anytime, right? Um <laughs> No, not. Yeah, unfortunately, Steve, premature withdrawals from these retirement accounts, I mean, they've become America's new piggy bank. And, you know, they've uh, been cracked open in record amounts during the lean times. Uh, it goes through an example here of a, a lady who needed to pull out um, about $2,800 to move. She was, um, it looks like she was laid off from her job and, and uh, needed to move about 90 miles from her home in Pennsylvania to her mother's basement. So she pulled out the, the 20, 2800 bucks and she said, you know, we made two trips, got real expensive. Um, you know, she's still unemployed as of today and uh, trying to avoid tapping what's left in her retirement savings of $7,000. Now she's 56 years old so wow i mean you know hopefully she has a pension um you know yeah. some other sources because seven thousand is not going to provide you know a lot of retirement but if she can protect it she should right yeah it's amazing to me how people always feel like whatever's you know the current expense need is an emergency right mm-hmm. like her moving was an emergency you know i don't know i mean it could just you know rent a u-haul for and, and i mean you just got to think of another. You got to find another way. That's the bottom line. You be thrifty. Can't, you cannot touch your retirement money. Times to be cheap, um, right? It really is. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a widening gap out there. I mean, it's a small number um, that's part of a much bigger picture. Is what they they mention here. The inter the IRS collected. $5.7 billion in 2011 from penalties, meaning that Americans took out $57 billion from their retirement funds before they were supposed to. So anytime you take money out of a 401k or yes. an IRA, there's a 10% penalty if you're under the age of 59 and a half. That's typically. it. That's it. Wow, so, that's a staggering. Yeah, so it used to be houses. I mean, for decades, Americans um, were, you know, they used their houses as their piggy bank. Uh, and then as values rose, people uh, refinanced. They took out second mortgages. And since the housing collapse of 2008, that's often no longer an option. So now taking money from a 401k plan and worrying about the consequences later has become the more attractive alternative. And a record number of Americans made withdrawals in 2010. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I have to say, I've talked a lot of people out of doing this. Yeah, I, I have, have too. I get calls all the time. People want me to tap it early. To pay off Johnny's credit cards or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the, the case may be, you know, it's always some kind of emergency or to pay down their mortgage. I've even had people want to do it to pay down their mortgage, Yeah, which is a horrible move. It really is. I know? mean, it's not just taking out today the penalty, the federal and state tax. But then you're wiping away any growth that it has going forward. So it's right. a, it could be a huge amount. You could take out something that might be earning 7 or 8% in the market that's tax-deferred and mm-hmm. paying off a mortgage that's tax-deductible that's only costing you maybe 3 or 4 or 5 6%. That's a horrible move. Yeah. I mean, we run the retirement planning numbers a lot of times with that, financial numbers, and that costs 
usually hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, it certainly can. Down the road. It's, it's amazing. You know, see, they go on to say the median size of a 401k, um, you know, as of um, March the 31st was about $24,000. Uh, people that were 55 or older had about 65 uh, and that's according to Fidelity Investments. And those funds can disappear quickly in retirement. And the early withdrawals indicate that the coming retirement crisis could be even more acute um, than than it expected. So, you know, the financial fact that we talked about, about all the programs, taking all the revenue, um, people not saving money, I mean, there is a retirement crisis coming. There really know? is, you know. And, I mean, this is a terrible thing, pulling money out, because what happens is you get hit with a penalty exactly at the time when you're most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really a double hit because, you know, you have a penalty on top of robbing your retirement. Yeah, and here's the here's some some more stats to show you how the 401k is becoming the vehicle of choice. Unfortunately, and this is adjusted for inflation, but the government collected about 37 percent more money from early withdrawal penalties than it did back in 2003. So, a lot more money is coming out, and um, the amount of home equity loans outstanding was about 704 billion in 2013, and that's down 38% from 2007 peak. So people just aren't able to tap the home equity because they don't have any yep, anymore. Right, so, right. you know, they didn't have um, access to the home equity, and so now they're, they're going to the 401K. And, you know, in, in 2011, 5.7 million tax returns, or about 4% of all U.S. households, reported paying these penalties on early withdrawals. And um, it goes on to say the government collected more than enough money from these penalties to fund the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. That's good, good to know. Wow. I don't know what they do. <laughs> I don't know. That's another administration we don't need. Yeah, I know. As, uh, as, as economic conditions have deteriorated, um, such withdrawal rates spike as they did back in 1991, 2002, and 2007. And, Steve, you know what this is a symptom of, and we've talked about this. If you don't have an emergency fund, right, you're going to go to your 401K. That's it. I mean, that is the underlying problem. It's is, a lack of planning. It is. It's not having that cash on hand to protect your 401K and, and not going to credit cards. So emergency fund is the key way to avoid this. That's exactly right. And they talk about, you know, the hardship penalty and, and it. It is kind of a catch-22, as they mentioned here. I mean, on one hand, the penalty is meant to discourage people from taking money out. But at a time when millions of families are in hardship, like they were in 2008, you know, they're more likely to take that money out. So the penalty hurts them even further. So early withdrawals, I think, John, my opinion, early withdrawals, I think, should be illegal. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it should just be done away with because... People do it for stupid reasons. You know, you hate to say it, but they are. I mean, they're just reasons that seem like an emergency, but they're not. I mean, your retirement is going to be more of an emergency than whatever you're dealing with now. Yeah, and what's going to happen is they spend it down, and when they go into retirement, it's going to fall back on the government to take care of them. Yeah, I mean, what are we going to do? We're going to take. We're going to let them spend their Social Security early, too? Yeah. I mean, you can't. I mean, today. Shh, don't say that. <laughs> today, 401K plans. Are, are the are yesterday's pension plans, right? You don't have pension plans anymore. So this is your pension. You couldn't take your pension out when you had a pension plan. Well, you shouldn't be able to take your 401k out because till you're 59 and a half, because when you take it early, you're going to be destitute if you're having to rely on that. And I just, I just think this money ought to be locked up, you know? And, and so, you know, withdrawals at any age, <clears throat> um, uh, are taxed at regular rates, but there's a 10% penalty, as we mentioned, if you take money out before age 59 and a half. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of cases that they, that you can be protected. Um, medical, 
you know, issues, um, disabilities, some things like that. If you're over 55, you may be able to escape the penalty. But, you know, Steve, there's a couple of um, suggestions out there that they're looking at, uh, you know. Um, yeah. And as and we talked about, some people are saying you ought to have penalty-free withdrawals, you know, which I don't think is the right answer. No, that's and some even, people are saying put, put a higher penalty. I, I like the option of not being able to take it out at all. I, I don't um, think it should. Maybe 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 you have a hard one hardship or two hardships disability potentially. Um but at least lim- if you're going to have hardships at least limit it to say $10,000. Yeah, so you can't just wreck the plan. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's there's got to be a there's got to be a balance here and and uh, you know unfortunately um you know people there's a retirement crisis coming. People have not saved for retirement and it's going to fall back on the social security system. We just talked about the financial fact that's going to be under struggles and, and stress as well. So start today. We can see this stuff coming, you know, down the road and you got a little bit of time to plan. So get that emergency fund. You can, you know, alleviate a lot of this headaches. Yeah, you can. So just do some smart planning. Don't tap your 401k plan early. Um, I don't care what the reason is, you know, I mean, there's, I know your back may be against the wall, but, you know, it's protected. I mean, it's protected from, it's judgment proof in a sense, you know, in a lot of, a lot of cases it is, they can't, they can't, you know, sue you for it. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because it's supposed to be protected for retirement. So leave it that way and don't tap it early. It's really kind of the the moral of the story here, right? Okay, well, that brings us up to a close for this week's edition of Money MD with John and Steve. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, John and Steve, at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. All these-